let's go to the Lord straight to the Lord in prayer. And I'm excited about diving into our chapter, but there's all kinds of beautiful pretext and context to it. So pray with me, would you please? Lord, we want to settle our hearts and minds before you now. And to be able to say tonight that we've encountered you in your word. We don't want to make you up. We could never make up a better you than you are. We're so thankful that you are such a great and amazing God. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. We commit, Lord, this evening to you. I pray you would immerse me in your spirit. And come upon me in such a way, Lord, that you would use me as a vessel to speak to every one of us tonight. So overcome every impediment. Break through every wall. Reach in, Lord, to our minds and to our hearts and to our spirits. And make us people who are permanently changed tonight. Walking out of here infinitely more victorious than we came in. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us the power of your word tonight. May we all be captivated in it. May we have so much fun in your word tonight. So, Lord, ignite us tonight. No matter where we've started this evening, may we all find ourselves at your feet, loving you even as you love us committing ourselves to you just as you've committed to us. Make tonight beautiful and perfect, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any night, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. We are now in Joshua chapter 8, and we are in the second of three major battles that are highlighted. The third one won't look much like a battle. That's part of the battle, to be honest. In the first battle, we saw the battle of Jericho. In the battle of Jericho, it was a battle with the craziest plan that only God could sort of invent, and therefore only God could bring to pass. March around the city, Each day for seven days. On the seventh day, march around it seven times and then just yell really loud. And then watch the wall fall flat. It seems insane, unscientific, crazy. Yeah, it does. And I don't blame a person who doesn't have faith in Jesus for thinking I'm a madman. I am fully committed my my life to following this wonderful Savior. And I am excited to see what he will do. But if you have a hard time thinking that a person has followed an invisible speaking person, who, an invisible speaking Jew from Israel, nonetheless, who lived 2,000 years ago, well, you know, on the surface, that does look a little crazy. It doesn't make it wrong. And with that, the battle was a battle, like we see in Scripture, the battle of the world. The battle of our faith, as it tells us in 1 John 5, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
And in the simplest sense, the battle one of the world is a battle of self-reliance or Christ-reliance. That's the whole battle of the world. Faith is just who do you rely on? Do you rely on Jesus or do you rely on yourself? Our second battle started in the previous chapter when we read it a very different, sort of a very different manner in which to go about it. Traditionally, the way was first to consecrate and then to communicate. Consecrate, set yourself apart unto God and then communicate with him. Speak to him and listen to him. What does he have to say? What is his plan? What is his will? And I'll be honest with you, if you're kind of a thinker, a planner, a control person, whatever those things might be, that actually can be very beneficial under some circumstances. They can be very dangerous when you use those to usurp listening to God for what he has in his plan. So you consecrate, then you communicate, then you congregate. You get the people together and say, this is what the Lord has said. Let's do this thing. And then finally, you initiate. Let's get it. Let's make it happen. In the case of Jericho, that's exactly what we saw. They were consecrated. The first or the second generation circumcised there at a place called Gilgal. And then they communicated. God actually sent an angel to speak specifically to Joshua with the game plans of which we've just said. And then he has to call the people together and explain this cockamamie plan that only can happen if God makes it work. But unfortunately, we didn't get far. But after that first amazing victory, well, we kind of lost track of how we did this thing. So instead of going back and setting ourselves unto God again and saying, all right, God, what do you have for us? First, consecrating, because I don't want God to speak to me with my selfish ambitions or I'll hear everything under that. But to say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours completely. And as I'm yours, speak to me. So, they did nothing of the sort, but rather took a look at the second place and they really didn't seem like a very, well, a big threat. As a matter of fact, the name of the town only has two letters. And so, there are many pastors who even call it AI just to make it sound bigger, but it's just I. That's it. You know, I. And it's as little of a town as it would be a word. I. It means heap of ruins. I mean, that should be your second clue. I'm going to take on a place and I'm going to call it heap of ruins. It sounds like it's like we're going to be, you know, stepping into the ring. Jay and Jay's opponent, Mr. Defeated. You know, I mean, it already sounds good. So instead of going back and consecrating and communicating with God, they just go for it. They go straight from Jericho right to Ai, and it's the only battle in Scripture where people die. Matter of fact, besides this one and the next one, it's really the only, to be honest, it's the only hand-to-hand battle that they lose in the entire book. And so when they do lose, they get chased. In other words, it's like a bunch of big guys, and they've just taken on the invincible enemy, and now they kind of take on like these little people. And then they get chased by them. Thirty-six people die. And Joshua falls on his face. And he's like, why, God, did you defeat us? And he's having his pity party, as many of us would under a circumstance like that. And of course, you're aware, the problem with pity parties is nobody wants to come. And if they do, it's even worse. And so God says, in a very, well, and I, I don't even know if I could say loving tone, but in a very sincere tone, he says, get up. What are you doing laying around crying like that? 
He says, there is an uns- you have an unconsecrated camp. You see, with the first battle, this battle of the world, the battle over who we trust, who we rely upon, God says, I don't want any of it. I don't want any of it to end up in your camp because there is no room for part reliance and then thinking that everything belongs to him. You see, if I can say to God, God, I totally trust you. This body's yours. This mind is yours. These hands are yours. Then if I can do that, then the rest of it falls into place. But if I can't do that, there will be battles on every front. And he looks and he says, now, wait a minute. Listen, one guy in an army, one guy has enough to deconsecrate the camp. And can I just say in the same way, one sin is enough to to deconsecrate the camp. One bitterness, one grudge, one thing, one secret thing that nobody really kind of sees, but it's in your heart, you know, and you can't let people look in because if they looked in and saw that, they would freak out and run away. And they should, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to kind of keep it and tuck it down there somewhere and no one can see it. And, you know, and in there, it's like one thing is all it takes to deconsecrate the camp and one thing kills 36 people. And one thing takes an army of 3000 people to flee. Because they look at one and say, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. I really don't need to, I mean, why bother the whole army for this? Let's just get, you know, let's get it. 3,000 guys, we get out there and we'll, bada boom, bada bing, we get in, we get out, the whole thing's fine. And then, then they run and they're like, ah! And, and so God's like, listen, get up. Do you want victory? Do you really want victory? Then this is going to be harsh and I warn you, <coughs> we're going to have to consecrate the camp. Now listen, when God consecrates a camp you've deconsecrated, it's never pleasant. Have you learned that yet? I mean, there's never a moment when God's going to go, I'm going to clean you out. And you think, yippee, for the process. I mean, think about that when you're like, you know, when they do those, any of you ever done those detox things? Where you're like, you know, you drink like, I don't know, they like, like they mow the lawn and they throw in like, bugs and you know and and all kinds of leaves and kale and things that like gerbils live on and all that kind of stuff and they blend it up and like the kind of stuff naomi loves you know and then then you know and then they say drink this green sludge for like four days you know and this is going to be great it's going to clean you out and you think oh this is going to be a great four days and you kind of know it's going to be like you're going to be praying for the rapture throughout the entire event or it's not working and you're like, so someone's like, hey, you want to go out and like jogging with me? You're like, no, I'm getting detox. Oh, okay, I get it. All right, all right, sorry, I'll pray for you. You know, and and the reason I say that is when God cleans us out spiritually, it's gonna be a rough road. Well, in this case, it is for a guy that's appropriately named Achan. And Achan, Achan, by the way, means trouble. Achan means trouble. Actually, Achan means troubler or troublemaker. Achan means trouble. So you should have saw it coming. A guy named Achan. Who means troublemaker? Well, he made trouble in the camp. And of course, as some of you know the story. He was definitely aching by the end of the story. So what happens is they have to call and they, they kind of do the process of elimination. They go to tribes and from tribes they go to kind of it's kind of like that whole species, family, genus, however that thing works out. Only in this case, it's with people. So it's like, you know, it's the tribes and then from the tribes, it's Judah. And then from Judah, we take the families and from the families, the households and from the households. There's this guy. And they're like, uh, now that means with all of this narrowing down, he had all of those moments to step forward. And God does this. He will narrow it and narrow it and narrow it to give you a chance to do it yourself. To give you a chance to go, hold on, 
um, before we actually call everybody together to see this thing, I did it. But there was none of that. So now here's the entire camp, the entire camp, two million people gathered together for one guy and his family. And what happens ultimately says, okay, I did it. But by that point, it already says it's you. So saying I did it, that's that's kind of the no-brainer. We already knew that part. We're just trying to figure out what the it is that you did. He's like, well, I know we weren't supposed to take anything, but... I saw this Babylonian garment. And my first thought is, what? Everybody dressed the same. We've walked around the wilderness for 40 years together. Everybody kind of looks the same. And this guy's going to pick up like, you know, like a tie-dye something from a Grateful Dead concert and think he's going to sport that around everybody else? Where'd you get that? Oh, this thing I've had laying around in the wilderness for 40 years. I don't I mean, and and worse yet, it's a Babylonian garbage, which means that this is a really cause. This is an Armani suit. I mean, we're all kind of walking around in Primark jeans and that kind of stuff with all due respect. And it's like, and this guy's walking around with bling bling. And you're like, "Mm." I'm like, what are you going to do with this? But you know, when you see something and you really want it, you don't really think long-term. Sin never, you never go, well, what's the long-term plan with this sin? Or you wouldn't do it. But he also took some silver and some gold and he buried it under his, in, in the floor of his tent. You know what's really interesting? God's like, well, we're going to need to get it out and hit him out and we're going to have to get all of the guilty party and they're going to die now. And then you read, and it's like, wait a minute, it's like the guy and his sons, his family were killed, and you're like, whoa, 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 this guy took it. But why kill the whole family? But if you look at the chapter, chapter 7, what you find is not everybody of the family died. The wife didn't. I think that's peculiar. And then I go, oh, I think I get it. Have you ever heard this expression, silence is complicity? What that means is that to be silent when you're aware of something often could be a crime or you're a party to the the crime. But see, the the term for sons here doesn't mean like they were like two years old and they were toddlers and like, let's just stone these little babies and then set them on fire. These were grown men. What, What you get out of this was is that the whole family seemed to be party to it except the wife. And so they were all guilty, even though, I mean, think about it. As the family's getting narrowed down, think about the fact that you're like, oh, man, Dad, like, buried that, like, garment, that stupid garment in our house. Which one of you at one point finally goes, okay, I don't want to rant on Dad, but uh, kind of interested in not getting buried with those stones myself. My, my dad, it's my dad, my dad, Aiken, troublemaker. It's my dad, the troublemaker, took the garment. You know, and it's like the whole point of it was is that somewhere down the line, the wife was innocent. Now, I don't know what that means. What, was she not there? Was she, was she out of the house? Did he put it under a rug and she hasn't cleaned it in the last couple of days? I don't know. But somewhere down the line, what happened is they fail. And as a result of that, 36 people die. And he says it's time. And they, get, they, all, they, they not only get stoned, but then they get, the whole thing gets set on fire, house and everything. And then it's a heap of stones that becomes another heap of stones which is our third, by the way, in this text uh, on Joshua so far, that when you walk by and go, what's that heap of stones? And you're like, well, 
In the valley of Achan, which means the valley of trouble, a guy named Achan, a troublemaker, well, he took stuff he wasn't supposed to when deconsecrated the camp. And we lost because of it. So how does that play out? I mean, in the first case, we see this battle of self-reliance or the battle of faith, the battle that we read in 1 John 5. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. We've overcome the world. In the second one, might I say our battle is the battle of the flesh. And the battle of the flesh is simple. In the first case, we're talking about self-reliance. In the second case, we're talking about self-service. In this case, now, because a person decided to serve themselves, serve themselves some gold, serve themselves some silver, and serve themselves a lovely Babylonian garment as a, as a parting present, as a result of that, everybody else, well, they were all suffering as a result of it. And listen, the whole battle of the flesh in us, as Christians, we will have the battle of the world, of whether we're going to trust ourselves or we're going to trust God, but then there will this, whether we're going to serve ourselves or whether we're going to serve God, and that's the second battle, the battle of the flesh. It will be a battle you will face for the rest of your life. And I've heard it said, here's the good news. You're like, but this is a struggle. And the good news is dead people don't struggle. The reason you're struggling is because God made you alive. Dead people don't wrestle. Contrary to what a lot of Tim Burton's movies may actually represent, truth be told, real dead people do not wrestle. That's just the way that works. And so here we are now, and here's the sad thing, is what we did is we looked at what happened in regards to the fall. The fall was this, and this is the way it works in our own life, is that you kind of look, and there's some kind of temptation. And in the temptation that you have, what's going to happen is, you're going to look at it and go, ah, oh, it's just a little. Now, the funny thing is, who in the heck are you talking to? Have you ever heard that in your own head? You know, you're kind of looking at something, you're like, oh, it's just a little. But you're telling yourself that. Why do you think you're telling yourself that? Because there's another voice in there, the Holy Spirit, that goes, that's not a little thing. That's a bad thing. You know, it's like, well, there's this snake and it wants to bite you, Hugo. And you're like, yeah, but it's just like a big worm, man. It's just like a little thing. And look at those little teeth. And he's like, and the God's going, look, it's really not. It's a very dangerous thing. I know it's very dangerous. It may look little, <clears throat> But that doesn't mean it's not dangerous. And that's the way that they looked at I. They looked and said, oh, you know, I deserve a break today. You know, Burger King told me that. You know, and it's like, I've got to believe in my heart. Disney's been teaching me that since I was two. You know, and I get all of this stuff moved into me where I'm like, oh, I just serve myself. I'll just serve myself. Things are cool. And then what happens is you become addicted because self-service is addicting. And then it becomes like, well, it's, okay, I serve me because I think I'm awesome. I can't wait to meet you because I hope you'll serve me too. And I'm recruiting people to serve me now. When you get a bunch of people doing that in a room, it becomes a very dangerous thing. I grew up in the bars. I didn't grow up in the churches. And can I just tell you, that's exactly what you see in the bars. No, it isn't like if you could actually hear the script that the person isn't, that's like their heart is thinking and not their head, that's what that would sound like. Hi, I hope you like me as much as I like me, or I hate me, but I hope you'll like me instead, and this is the way I want you to serve me. You know, And so I'm going to flirt, I'm going to do this or whatever, I'm going to buy you whatever, because in the end of it all, I'm really hoping that I could recruit you onto this Love Me campaign I'm on. The problem is, both people are doing it. And the question is, well, who wins? In the end of it all, can I say everybody loses? That's the sad part. So how do I overcome that? Well, 
if I kind of looked at it and saw it as a little thing and it was really not a big deal, and then I kind of wound up in the end of it all, I got whooped and I realized, whoa, did I fall into this? How did I fall into this? Well, the first way that I fell into it was I looked and thought it was no big threat. And don't tell me, by the way, you know, some people are like, oh, that animal dies, that's not so bad, they're kind of ugly, but this furry thing, that's really cute, don't let that thing live. And I've seen people say things like that, but it's like, not just, if it's furry, that doesn't mean it's cute. Back in California, I was moving bricks, and as I was moving bricks, well, you know what actually likes to live among bricks? Black widows. And there was, you know, there's tarantulas, and I kind of get that there, but the black widow kind of went and launched onto my hand, and I was on my way someplace. It's little. But that doesn't mean it wasn't dangerous. It was a very unpleasant trip for the next five and a half hours to teach Hebrew to people where a dot changes things from temple prostitute to holy. You've got to know where the dots are. And my eyes are going, you know. And the whole point of it is, just because it's little doesn't mean it's dangerous. Stop just going, it's just a little, and go, you know what, if it's dangerous, let's deal with it the way Joshua does here. And I remind you, Joshua is actually the name Jesus in Hebrew. Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures, but for the sake of time, I ask you to take a look at them on your own. Uh, Romans, chapter 8, the first nine verses. So Romans 8, verses 1 through 9, if you're a note taker. Romans 8, verses 12 through 14. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. And if you can't write these down quick enough, don't worry, this will be online in a week, I guess. Galatians 6, 8, and 1 Peter Four verses one through four. What you'll find is, is that the flesh will always be at war with the nature of God, which is the spirit of God. And what we'll find is, if you're going to walk in that flesh nature, you can't please God that way. And if you're going to sow to that flesh nature, you're going to reap death. I have no interest in that. So this is what we read now. As let's pick it up in our chapter, Joshua eight. In Joshua eight, we read, "Now the Lord said to Joshua, and remind you, this is after their defeat. Don't be afraid." Nor be dismayed. Take all of the people of war with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. (coughs) Before we go any farther, notice, by the way, God is very aware of Joshua's state. He is the leader, militarily and politically. And he says, I notice that there's two things. And, And to understand in the Hebrew, the idea of this is stop doing this. Don't do this because you're doing it. The same way that a parent looks at a child and says, don't do that. Because they're doing it. And God's, that's what God is saying here now. And the two words are fear. Did you see that? Don't be afraid. And then he also says don't be dismayed. And it isn't like God's kind of trying to rap or do beat poetry, so he's just trying to find words that rhyme. They're very important words. The word fear, yahre, by the way, a very common word that is used, means in essence to see yourself very small in the sight of something else, and as a result of that, feel that you are, and would recognize your incompetence or impotence to that thing. That's why we're told to fear the Lord. We're not told to fear the Lord like the cowardly lion approaching Oz. Where we're like, the idea of it, although I think that even a little of that might be healthy. But the idea of it is that we look and we recognize that in the sight of God, we have no right to stand before him and say, oh, listen, I chose not to believe in you because I didn't like what I heard about a priest that I never met somewhere in a story that I read somewhere that I can't remember that a friend told me that I don't trust. God, you have no, we have no right to get cheeky with God. But here he's like, stop fearing these people. Stop fearing this little guy. You took on Goliath and now you just got your rear end kicked by a leprechaun. 
What are you doing? Stop being so afraid. But the second word, the word for dismay, is the word chatat. Can you try that word? Chatat. Okay, now, so you gotta, it's Hebrew, so you got to go chatat. Now, wipe the hair of the person in front of you. Chatat. Now, the word means to prostrate, to break down and to fall down by beating. We might say, stop beating yourself up. Stop just laying on the ground going, ah, life is miserable. He's like, you know what? It's like, if, it's like that inside out thing and like sadness is the only one in your head now. That's the idea here. You fall into pieces, man. This is Joshua who led the battle against the Amalekites. The first battle we see for these renegade slaves that left Egypt. This was this is Joshua, the guy that actually saw the the Jordan part and led all the people across. This is Joshua, the guy that circumcised the second generation. And if you don't think that takes courage, we won't develop that. But if you get the idea, this is a guy with a lot of courage, and God's like, pick yourself up and put yourself together. Let me tell you why. It says, don't be afraid. Nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand. That's why. Pick yourself up. I've given them to you. Now, what took place between their defeat and this moment? God eradicated Achan is what happened. He took Achan and all of his stuff and it was taken down. It was eradicated. God went back to consecrating. So we're now in step two, which is communicating again. So God's like, listen, in the first case, you had to walk in faith and do this crazy story. This one's going to make a little bit more sense to you, Joshua. This is more of a military campaign. This is the kind of thing that generals to this day study to go, okay, how did this happen? He goes, so I want you to do this, but listen, listen, listen. It looks little. Listen, it looks unthreatening. Listen, it doesn't look like, it looks like a cute little cuddly thing. It's like a goonie that's ready to turn into this thing at night. But listen, listen, listen. I want the whole army at this thing because I want this thing down and I want it down for good. I don't want to go, yeah, 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 it was bad, but it's, you know, come on. Wasn't that bad? It was really bad at the moment, but now it's not that bad. Come on, it's just a little. Come on, you know, okay, come on. It's just a thing. It's just a little thing. How bad do you hate it? Or do we hate it? He's like, look, you're going to need to take your whole army this time. And the funny thing is, it's like you are taking 100,000, 200, 300,000 people, potentially here, into battle against a town that may have 1,200 people. And that would seem pretty crazy. But the idea of it is, this is, your, this is a sworn enemy that will not stay living. Well, as to say this, if as long as they live, they have sworn to take you down. And can I say this? Please hear me on this. The flesh nature you have or I have will never convert. That's what Scripture says. There will never be a day when self-service will finally surrender to you and say, you know what? Yeah, we'll only self-serve when it benefits other people. There's another term, by the way, for self-serve. It's a term that's used a lot these days, and that's the term love yourself. Think about what loving yourself really is. And maybe you've heard that expression, you can't love others until you love yourself. Can I say, you really can't love others if you're busy loving yourself, if love is really service. Sorry, 
I can't love you, I can't serve you until I first serve myself. That sounds a little worse, doesn't it? That's kind of like saying you can't spend everything you have on your debit card on others until you spend everything on your debit card on yourself. So listen, this is the way we're going to do it, verse 2. And you shall do to I and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king, only, by the way, its spoil, its cattle and all these things, now you can take for yourself. But you're going to need to lay an ambush. Once total surrender has been established at Jericho, now the issue is that some of the spoil can actually be used. Strange, that it'll be things like cattle. And I think that's interesting because cattle will actually be used in a lot of the sacrifices that will be done at the temple, for instance, that will be in time to come or at the tabernacle that we have even now. And I start to think, man, if Achan only waited, the things that he might have really wanted, he could have actually gotten. He just got it in the wrong place. I see this a lot, by the way, in the area of the physical relationship with people. We find ourselves in all kinds of messed up relationships because we don't realize how important commitment is. So somehow we kind of figure that if we could be physically intimate with people, we can get more time with them and ultimately they'll commit. Instead of committing should produce the intimacy that should ultimately bear forth that physical relationship in a total commitment. Now, I know I probably sound like grandpa when I'm saying these kind of things, but I can tell you, you'll never have to gnaw off your arm to try to get away from something because you realize when you wake up next to someone that's a total stranger that you can't stand to spend another minute with them. And I get this. And the idea of it is, is that it wasn't that it was wrong. It was just the wrong time and the wrong place for it. He says, look, it, you could have had it, just not there. That wasn't your place. He goes, now, now that you've totally given me everything, <clears throat> once you've surrendered everything and trust me, I can actually give you some of this stuff and you'll use it for good now, not just for yourself. So, <clears throat> so what I want you to do is to lay an ambush. What that means is, if you know anything about an ambush, the general idea of it is, is that everybody kind of charges at once somewhere down the line. Now, I played American football for a while, and I recognize that that's not a real popular sport here, although it's starting to grow. But there was a specific thing that we had called a blitz. I mean, there's basically in the NFL, you've got these really gigantic men that are built like an American refrigerator or, if you will, uh, big enough so that if a smart car hits it, pity the car. And then somewhere down the line, each one of these guys weighs about, uh, honestly, roughly somewhere about a, yeah, about 20% of a ton. They're really, really big guys. And they're all in the front. And they're all scrumbling, much like a scrum would be in rugby. And then there's this guy, and he's sort of a pansy. He's kind of the guy that kind of runs things. He's a bit of the prima donna, and he throws the ball. He's kind of the game player. And he's the guy that everyone wants to get at. <clears throat> because if they can get at him before he throws the ball or tries to get somebody to run the ball for him, well, at that point, then, of course, they stop the whole thing. Now, under certain circumstances, a particular play called a blitz is that a lot of guys that would be guarding other guys forfeit that, and they all come at this guy at the same time. Now, when it works successfully, what it looks like is this guy that's kind of like, I'm so cool, and I'm back here, and there's like, mother! And then everyone's like, boom, on top of the guy. And it's a really kind of a fun thing to watch because I was never a quarterback. Anyways, the point of it, though, is when you watch it, you you go, now that's an ambush. That guy got ambushed. And what happened is he did not see it coming because it came from everywhere. And that's what he says, that's what I want you to do with this flesh thing. In this case, I... I want you to take this heap of ruins and I want you to go at it from every side. 
But I have a specific way I want you to handle it. But I want you to realize we're not going to do this thing by going lightly into it. And this is what I do in my own life. And perhaps you're the same is that I'll deal with something and I'll fall in some way and maybe it'll be, for me, my natural, sort of my, sort of my Achilles heel used to be violence. Praise God, by the way, my family's never seen that. And, and thank God for that. that he's, but I, I remember what it was like. But even now, it's like, because there was a time before I knew Jesus, I hated people. I just hated them. And it's like because the world I lived in, everybody was shallow and it was just rotten. And, and, I, and I'm sure I contributed a great deal to it. So when I find myself in these places where I'm just kind of giving off the stink, if that makes sense, my personality at that point is just like, get away from you. Know, you know, and I'm like, but I'm trying to be a pastor at the same time as so I'm trying to smile. And I really probably look like Frankenstein on crack. I mean, it's like a weird thing. But, but please understand that when I get there and I'm like, oh, what was I doing? Why was I thinking that? What was I, what was I, what was I doing? Then somewhere down the line, I want to be like, I want to be like, oh, I'm just going to take like little steps now and kind of inch myself away from it. And God's like, no, I want you to, to mortify this thing. I want you to ambush. I want you to take everything you've got and like, look at, you know what? I'm going to, before this thing owns me, I'm going to go at it with everything and say, you know what? I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to get in the word and I'm going to pick up my cross and follow Jesus like I should. I'm not going to look at it and go, oh, no. You know, it's kind of a little, we just kind of, kind of dance, kind of like a junior high breakup, you know, like sort of like when you started getting romantic in, you know, elementary school or whatever, where you didn't really break up, you just stopped calling, you know, and then like three months have passed and you're like, oh, I guess we're not together. You know, well, that's, I mean, we don't do that with our sin, but what we try to, and he says, that's not the way to handle this. You come at it hard and you come at it heavy. So it says this in verse three. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of Ai. And he says then, men of valor, and he said, I'm sorry, 30,000 men to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Don't go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. And then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city And it will come about that when they come out against us, as at the first, we will flee before them, which is exactly what took place in chapter 7. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, and they will say, ah, they're fleeing before us as at first. Like chapter 7. Therefore, we will, you know, therefore we'll flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be that when you have taken the city, that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I've commanded you. So here's God's plan. So here's the idea of it. We've got this city, this little city like it were right here. And what happened in chapter 7 was Joshua and those guys, not, con- con- not actually asking God, they took th- th- two, 3,000 guys and they're like, ah! And the men of Ai come out there and they're like, ah! ah! And 36 guys died. That was the last chapter. So he's like, well, let's do it again. See, the thing is, these guys aren't going to think that there's a chapter 8. They're just going to think the whole thing's chapter 7. So we're going to try a chapter 7 on them. But here's the thing different. This time we're going to take a big glob of guys and we're going to put them back here. So what happens is when we start to flee, all these guys will come out. Then you guys come over here, set their city on fire. And at that point, we'll have them surrounded. That's the difference. Now, the thing is, I remind you, all that I have seen up to this point is basically two, 3,000 guys. They've not seen the size of this army. 
So if you can imagine that even up to this point, you know, even up to this point, as we're looking at, 30,000 guys are behind it. I mean, that's 10 times the amount of guys. And that's just the back ambush. That's not even the guys up in the front. And he's even going to set a second group of guys as well. So listen, this is what it says. Verse 9. Joshua then, therefore, sent them out, and they they went and lied in ambush, and stayed between Bethel and Ai. Interesting. Because Ai is a heap of ruins, but Bethel means the house of God. And I get the idea. One of the places I know I need to go, the last place I want to go when I've done something really stupid, is to the house of God. And to find those that will surround me at that time and go, you know what, let's get this dealt with right. Because what I'd rather do is just keep the whole thing, crawl into my little cave and just tuck it away. So, Joshua sent them out. They went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged all night among the people. And I remind you, Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, which, by the way, you'll find throughout this book, this guy is an early riser. And he mustered the people. And he went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And the people of war who were with him went up to draw near. And it says, They came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So that's important to recognize that there is a valley in between them. And that's a dangerous thing for an army to attack. And the reason is that means that this that this city, I, has gravity on their favor. So even things like rocks become a really good weapon. I mean, if you're two stories up and guys are going to try to charge your wall, all you have to do is drop rocks. Just aim for those big round things at the top of their necks. It works real well. So they're like, okay, so what do we do? Because they recognize there was a valley then. It says in verse 12, he took 5,000 other guys and he sent them in ambush. He said, them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So we've got some on the north. We've got some then on the, on the west side. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now, it happened. When the king of Ai saw it, so now it's early in the morning, we've set ourselves in place, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at an appointed place before the plain. The plain, but obviously what that means is, well, that's going to be flat on the other side of the, uh, of the valley. But they did not know that there was an ambush behind him, against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel, and look at verse 15, because this is where we bring it to crux and almost close this thing. Joshua and all of Israel made it as if they were, what's the word there? Come on, give it to me. What is it? Beaten. They made it look like they were beaten before them. And they fled by way of the wilderness. So they had to go into the valley and then over on the other side. So all the people of Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua. And they were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai. Nor Bethel. Even Bethel, the other city beside it, they even all opened up to go after him. Who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the what? Spear that is in your hand toward I, and I will give it into your hand. So, 
Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. And those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as they had stretched out his hand. And they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them and they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, well, that was their sign that there's victory, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out, against, out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they had pursued him, when they had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all of Israel returned it to Ai, struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was all that fell that day, both men and women, 12,000, all the people of Ai. Joshua did not draw back his hand, which he had stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of the the city of Israel took his booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. Joshua burned Ai, made it a heap forever, because again, it's called heap. He just made it one. A desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that he would take his corpse down from the tree cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. I'd like you to consider this. We have our person, Joshua. He's our leader. Joshua approaches this city, the the same name as Jesus, only in Hebrew. And he goes, and you know what the men of I see? They see Joshua as if he were beaten. But it wasn't just the men of Ai, of this ruins, of this heap. But it was also those from the house of God, Bethel, who came out against him as well. Interesting that there would be both. And both would be joined together. And outside of the city, Joshua would have to descend as if beaten. And as he descended as if beaten, the enemy convinced that he had taken him down until the spear. And once the spear was set forth, there was a clear declaration of victory. I think that's interesting because you see, 1,400 years later, God is going to clothe himself in flesh and he's going to walk among mankind And as he walks among mankind, he is carrying with him prophecies of his own death. This is Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son. And interesting, because Jesus himself, the very name Joshua, but now translated into Greek, Yehoshua, Jesus, now stands before. And it's interesting because his opponents were twofold. They were not just the Gentile world who ultimately will crucify him, but consider the fact it would also be the house of God. Interesting as it is that Jesus, though arrested by the house of God, would be handed to the Gentiles and there he would be beaten and beaten. Quite a, de- quite a, quite a big deal. 
taken out of the city as Joshua draws them out of the city. Jesus himself, according to Deuteronomy, had to be killed outside of the city. And thus Jesus himself would be taken and hung on a tree, as Galatians makes clear, because Deuteronomy says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. You'd say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Tony, I thought it was a cross. And I'd say, yes, it is a cross. What's a cross made out of? An interesting Because there at that place, you would have thought the religious leaders had thought they had won. But you know what's interesting? The declaration of his death came by one particular item. And what was that? Oh yeah, a spear. A spear that was brought forth into his side and blood and water would flow. And there was a declaration in that that Jesus had completely died. There was no way that Jesus could have lived through that placed in a tomb just as Scripture had promised and just as Scripture had promised on the third day. Even as Joshua had appeared defeated, even though even as Joshua had descended into the valley, Joshua would rise up again. And as Joshua would rise up again, he would take total and absolute victory. And in the same way, Jesus himself, when raising up from the dead, went and declared total and absolute victory. And interestingly, though all of the city was taken, the only person that was left was the king. And the king was hung on a tree because, again, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And there is a declaration in that. Four different times we're going to read in Scripture, five actually, that if we're really going to follow Jesus, we can't do it empty-handed. We have to actually take up our own cross and follow him. Taking up our own cross says that I'm willing to follow Jesus even though people are going to make fun of me. Yeah, can I just say, let me just make it, I'm not going to give you the soft sell, let me give it for real. You accept the gift of Jesus Christ and you choose to follow him, people will make fun of you. And can I just say in love, get over it. People are going to make fun of you, it doesn't matter who you are. You're white, you're black, you have hair, you don't have hair, you have too much hair, you have too little hair. People will make fun of you for the clothes you wear, for how tall or short you are, for how big or thin you are, they're going to make fun of you. It doesn't matter who you are, people are going to have a problem with you. And now that you're aware of that, and this again isn't about self-esteem, this is about Christ's service, if that's the case, choose your Lord. Who are you going to serve? If you're going to spend your whole life trying to make people not make fun of you, people are going to make fun of you because of that. Now that we've gotten that through, If I pick up my cross, people are going to look at me and they're going to look at me like I'm a lesser of a person than they are. Yep, that's true. We've got to get over that too. And if I'm going to take my cross, then I'm going to associate with my Savior who died on it for me. For me, that's great. For Jesus, that's great. For the world, not so great. They're going to look and go, what are you? And you know this because people are going to come to you and the worst thing, the part that hurts the most are the people that love you. Right? And they're going to look and go, I I, I say this because I care. And you, you know that means, uh-oh, right? And they're like, what's wrong with you? Right? And then it's like, it's sooner or later, they're going to peel back the niceness and just get to the raw. We were fine when we were smoking pot together and having sex, but now, I mean, you're like, you're like brain dead and brainwashed. Now, because like you're like all Jesus and read the Bible and go to church stuff. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not getting arrested. I'm not pregnant. I'm not worried about a disease. Now I'm brainwashed? I mean, before I was breaking the law all the time, I was smoking whatever you handed at me. I was snorting whatever you gave me. I didn't even know what it was. And it wasn't, I mean, it was like none of us knew. It was handed to us by a stranger, some Somali guy out on the street. And it's like somehow, now I'm like, now I'm brainwashed? 
Now you're concerned about me. I've had parents call me and go, what did you do to my son? What do you mean? Well, it was fine before when we were robbing people and we were unserious and we were doing heroin together. But now he's like all this religious stuff. What have you done to him? I go, sounds like I fixed him. But it isn't me. It's Jesus. Ah, you're just like him. Tell him that. I think it will encourage him. God bless you. You know. Here's the point. Jesus says, if you're really going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. This is, you cannot follow Jesus and be self-serving. Can I just make that clear? And what that means, listen, here's the, here's the crazy part. There are two different people who want to serve you, you and God. But both cannot work the same, t- the same shift. So do you really want you to serve you when God would be the other one to serve you? Do you really think you're going to serve you better than he does? He's infinite, almighty, and he knows you better than you do. And he knows what's good for you. It isn't like God's got vegetables planned for your whole life, unless you like them. But it's, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like oh, I just know if I, hand myself, if I hand my life over to Jesus, then my life's going to be like boring, and I'm going to be like a weirdo. And it's like, first of all, you're probably already a weirdo, but can I just say this? My life's never been so awesome. And the moment I started following Jesus, it was like that moment in The Wizard of Oz when she opens the door and everything's in color. Did you realize that's how Technicolor actually introduced color films was through that movie? So we watched a black and white film. It's like, that's what we've always known. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, Oz, this is weird. And it's like, that was, I remember the moment I gave my life to Christ and it was like, oh God started splashing colors. It was like, it went from like some like Russian novel to a Bollywood film. I mean, it was like from, uh, to, uh, it was amazing how things changed all of a sudden. And I looked and I went, wow, this isn't people are like, oh my goodness, what happened to you? And I'm like, I got alive. I'm alive, and then they're like, well, people are going to make fun of you. I'm like, you know who's making fun of me? The people that are still in the black and white. And kind of go, uh, what's wrong with you? Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Have you ever done it? You ever just, like, you ever just, like, you, you know, you're listening to praise music, and I'm like there, and I'm, I'm actually reading my Bible on a bus, and people are looking at me because I'm like just smiling. And they're kind of, and they're like, kind of like, oh, you're just one, you're weird. I'm like, yeah, and you're like, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I should be more like you. And, and, and I'm not just trying to be mean, I'm just trying to be honest. <clears throat> In the end of it all, there was an absolute total defeat that was flipped around to absolute and total victory. And that, the way that happened is that the whole thing, everything went out against it. Joshua took it, and though it appeared as if Joshua was beaten, he rose back up again, and he says, let's take this thing on all sides. So let me ask you something as we go to prayer. Hey, it's, en- it's not enough to know it. You can't experience, I mean, we can read this and it isn't like we go, well, I, I claim the victory. I'm going to go now and move to Israel and say, I is mine. I read the story. Give me the property. You weren't there. Though we can read that and we can say, okay, this is, this is real history. The question is, do you want to be a part of it? And in the same way, we can know that Jesus died for us. We can know that he rose again. We can know that he meant well and he taught and he lived a perfect life and all that. But unless we accept his gift, it's just another story in a book. But this person that died for me, my name here, Jesus died for me, rose again and says, I, I want to be with you. And if you've been in one of those, you know, sort of pseudo-Christian kind of things where it's like it's all been about politics or it's all been about stained glass and incense, not that there's anything bad with those things, but it's like somewhere in it, it's like, you know, I, I don't know because I feel like I have to pray to his mom or I have to pray to the saints. Could you imagine that? 
Can you imagine that Hugo gave up his whole life and he said to Deborah, I just want you to be my wife. I want to love you. I want to give my, my everything to you. I'll do whatever that takes. And Deborah goes, okay. And so, and then they, they get married. And then, then Hugo's like, well, now that we're married, you have to talk to my mother. You know, I mean, that would be weird. Because Hugo didn't do that to just make her kind of his. He did it to spend the rest of his life with, her, with her, him. And in the same way, can I say, Jesus died on the cross so you could spend the rest of eternity with him. That's the point. So listen, as we go to prayer tonight, I don't have to convince you. That's not my job. My job is to give you the offer. If you have accepted Jesus, I want to challenge you to do something for real with me, which is to say, you know what? I am going to take up that cross. And I don't know what that looks like yet, but I know that the Lord will make that real. And he'll make that. And I'm not going to look at things and go, yeah, it's just a little whatever. I'm going to go, you know what? Yes, with whatever it takes, I want to make sure that that is just done. Because that's key. Because I want to live a life of total victory with my Lord. Well, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you so much, Lord, for how in the end of it all, you gave two chapters to this in essence, and for good reason. <clears throat> there is a pile of stones sitting there where a city, the only city that could claim that it killed any soldiers of the army of Israel in all of the book of Joshua is no wonder a pile of stones. Show us, Lord, that the victory was not because I was stronger. It was because Israel was unconsecrated. And I just pray, Lord, for those who have made claim to you, myself included, <clears throat> that we would not allow anything into our camp. Nothing. We would not allow anything in our camp that would deconsecrate us. Anything that we could just kind of keep fresh and that we could keep buried under the rug somewhere in our house of our, of our own heart. As if somehow we're like, oh, this will probably be more useful later. But God, I don't want that. I, I just pray even today, Lord, that whatever that means to take up our cross to follow you, for whatever humiliation, for whatever sacrifice, we recognize that <coughs> the one thing we do lay on the altar, <coughs> sorry, Lord, the one thing we do lay on the altar <coughs> is our self-service. This self-entitled, I've got a right, how, you know, that whole thing, Lord, where we're all about just trying to figure out how to, to, to bless us all the time. God, I just pray that as we pick up our cross to follow you, that we would do so joyfully, knowing, Lord, that the more we do, the more we look like you. But tonight, here in this room, as we close this, if there be any in this room who maybe right now they're kind of struggling, they're not really sure if they've ever accepted your gift. Maybe they've gone to church, but they're seeing that there's a difference. And in Scripture, it tells us that if we're willing to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that you were raised from the dead, we will be saved. We declare you as Lord and Savior, inviting you to be the Lord and Savior of our life personally. And tonight I pray your Holy Spirit would have free reign in all of our hearts just so that we could walk out of here sure. So tonight in this room, without making you stand up or without making you do anything <clears throat> prior other than this, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end of this prayer, if you can agree 
<clears throat> if you really say, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. Then I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, yeah, you know what? I make claim to that prayer. Let that be mine. Amen means so be it. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, like every other human being, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong, thought wrong, felt wrong, intended wrong. And that wrong needs to be punished. But because you love me, you sent Jesus down here who lived the perfect life and then paid my price on the cross. He paid for my curse on the cross so that all of my crimes of my heart could be punished. You promised this even before He came. And it was religion as well as human beings as a whole. <coughs> it was the political religious system and it was human beings as a whole that had you killed. And yet, Lord, in all of that, just like Scripture promised, you rose again on the third day in total and absolute victory. And now you invite me to have your freedom that blood and water that you shed when that spear pierced your side to wash over my soul, to wash me clean of all of my guilt and shame, to be set free. And if that's really what you want to do, then I say yes. I say yes to your offer, your forgiveness, your cleansing, your lordship over my life. Take me and make me yours now. And in doing so, make my life as wonderful as I've heard tonight. I trust you'll do this. I hand over myself to you. I'm yours. Jesus, in your name. And if that is your prayer tonight, I ask you to give a confident Amen. And Lord, now, I just pray for any who prayed tonight you would cement that into their hearts. Give them a hunger for your word. Give them a hunger, Lord, for your house. Show them, Lord, how walking with you in prayer, how beautiful that is. Show them that beautiful color, Lord, that you're going to make of their life even at this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen.